0: This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Noel Balmer. And today I'm excited to welcome Stanley Gibson to the show. Mr. Gibson is a trial attorney and a partner at Jeffer Mangles Butler and Mitchell, where he focuses on IP and entertainment. He has over three decades of litigation experience and holds a JD from Duke. Mr. Gibson, thank you so much for joining me here today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's jump into it. You have an extensive background in litigation uh, with a particular interest in technology. Has this always been a passion for you?
1: Well, you know, when I was a kid, I got started uh, watching my dad try cases. And uh, so I kind of dreamed of being a trial lawyer as I was growing up. And um, as I progressed and went to law school, uh, I've been able to not only become a trial lawyer, but help uh, other people, mainly entrepreneurs and inventors, fulfill their dreams and and help protect their intellectual property along the way. So um, that's always been been one of my goals and desires as, as practicing in, in the IP field is to, is to help those inventors and entrepreneurs, uh, protect their dreams that they've worked so hard to achieve. It's a very noble field. Um, let's go back to your early days.
0: What was the first time that you used an expert witness? Did you start using expert witnesses kind of right off the bat? Or is that something that evolved in your practice?
1: Um, I've used expert witnesses, uh, all along my practice for 30 years. Uh, you know, I, 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 I probably remember the first uh, time that I saw an expert give a presentation the best. I, a, a damage expert who I've used quite frequently um, came, in, came in and gave a presentation at our firm. And uh, I developed a relationship with him over the years. Uh, but he just did a fantastic job presenting, making things understandable, clear, concise, was a super nice guy. You could tell he was going to be easy to work with. Um, and that, that kind of was my first experience really working closely with an expert, but that, that happened, uh, you know, pretty early in my career. Is that,
0: is that, you know, fairly common where it's kind of a word of mouth thing? You know, how do you
1: typically find expert witnesses? I would say it, it can be word of mouth. I certainly will look around the law firm, um, and talk to my partners who've used experts. Um, but we will engage, uh, search services as well, particularly on the technical side, <clears throat> In the uh, intellectual property cases, trade secrets, patent cases, where we need more specialized um, knowledge and not not everyone's going to have dealt with that kind of case before. So that's pretty common. Uh, I would say that, you know, over half of my cases will reach out and use uh, expert search services to, to find experts.
0: Over half. That's really interesting. Now, is that over half of uh, cases that you use experts or over half of cases overall?
1: I'd say over half of cases overall. I, I don't really have too many cases where we don't have experts um, in the intellectual property field, unless a case gets resolved early on. I, I have case, I have experts engaged in every case. Um, usually at least two, one on the technical side and one on the damages side. And it may be more than two. Uh, I just did a trial in June where um, there were 13 experts total in the case. Oh, wow. uh, set a record for me with that many. Um, <laughs> in, in, uh that's the most. But usually, you know, there'll be there'll be at least two
0: on each side. With uh, so many potential expert witnesses, how do you keep you know, how do you organize all of that? Uh, do you divide the case up into little, you know, bits and and assign them each little, you know, parts that they need to do or what? How do you how do you manage that?
1: You definitely want to be efficient um, because experts can get expensive for the clients. So you want to make sure that they're each doing their, their, their role. So we will divide up um, those specific roles. It's pretty easy when you have a damage expert and technical expert, that's, that's pretty simple when sure. you're dealing with an IP case. Um, and usually the, the damages experts will summarize the case and do that, but they're, they're going to stick to doing their damages analysis and their calculations under that. So that, that'll, that, that keeps them into, in their role. Um, but we'll engage forensic type people that do accounting work as well as the damage expert. Um, and then you do want to distinguish between who's doing what. And, and it is important to, to have group calls, joint calls. I don't have problems uh, having the experts on a, on a single call talking through things. So they don't overlap um, except to where they really need to. Uh, that, that That's an important part of it. So you have experts interfacing
0: with each other. How does that impact things like discovery? You know, how, how do you deal with confidentiality and what they can say to you and not?
1: So it depends where you are. If you're in, you know, I practice in California. If you're in state court, there's no uh, privilege against having to produce information that you provide to an expert or draft reports. All of that's fair game for discovery. It's a little bit more limited in federal court. You're not going to have drafts produced. And you're going to agree that, that emails and things like that won't be, won't be produced either. Um, whereas in, in California state court, it's more far ranging. Uh, you can get a copy of the experts file and that should be everything that they've, they've created, whether it's drafts, notes, emails, whatnot. So, um, you know, it's important to, to, to make sure that you're providing the experts with information that's been provided to the other side in discovery. You don't want to provide documents that, that haven't been uh, produced In discovery. Um, But I think it is important to to still let the experts have a conversation, make sure there's a free flow of information. Um, You know, it's a free discussion of of ideas. I don't usually have the experts uh, putting a lot of things into writing early on. They'll wait to do their report until they're further on. But when when they're doing their initial investigation, I think they should talk to the other experts, um, especially if they're going to rely on those experts. And, And there's no reason not to have those conversations pretty early in the process.
0: Let's back up for a moment moment and talk about uh, your vetting process. So when you're deciding who to bring on as an expert, obviously, you know, you need to know that they know their subject matter. Uh, But what else is important? Do you you concern yourself with how they might appear in court or during a cross-examination or a deposition? Or is it mainly how well-established they are in the field?
1: Well, I think you know, ideally you get you get all of those things. Um, I'm probably going to you, you have a different approach for, for different parts of the case. Right. I mean, you, you need to get your expert through the Daubert process or through a motion to exclude in, in state court. Um, sure. So you want to make sure they're qualified and the, the more credentials they have for that process is important when you get to the trial itself. I don't know that the credentials are probably not as important as long as they're going to be qualified to testify. I don't think the jurors distinguish that much uh, based on where someone went to school. And if they've got relevant experience, both sides probably have that Um, that's probably not what the case is going to turn on. Um, So then you are also going to find someone who communicates well um, and, and is going to do a good job in testifying in front of the jury can be a good teacher, be, be clear and precise in what they're saying easy to understand. I also think it's important to, that you like the expert you're working with, that you find them, <laughs> um, you know, enjoyable to work with and, and someone, someone who's available uh, makes time for the case. You know, we're, we're, we're not the client, the client's still the client, but a, as sure. the attorney that is working with the expert, it's important that, that there's a good working relationship. We get along well um, we enjoy working together because you're going to spend quite a bit of time with the expert uh, whether that's going to be in person or virtual, so I, I think the the you know the you got to look at the qualifications, their ability to testify well, um, but also just how easy are they to get along with and, and work with. You, you want to make sure that that relationship is, is something you can rely on. Um, the best experts are going to go beyond just testifying and giving an opinion. They're going to help you. And what the other experts doing? They're going to come up with ways to attack the other expert. Um, And that's really important. And know you can rely on that.
0: Speaking of attacking the other experts, some expert witnesses, you know, have been really working for a really long time in their area. They have a massive amount of published work and (laughs) sometimes opinions change over time. This is something I've repeatedly heard through uh, from interviewing longtime expert witnesses. Um, where they've been kind of impeached on prior things that they've said that have been published. Um, do, you do, any, do you actively research an expert to make sure that the way that they see whatever the facts are, or whatever the issue is, uh, kind of uh, gels with what you're trying to get across to the judge or to, to the jury? Or is that something that you don't sweat too much?
1: Um, we'll look at stuff that's readily available. <clears throat> We're not going to spend hours and hours digging that up before we hire an expert. Um, sure. Yeah, that's that's not as likely. We'll ask them, you know, and that's again where you want to make sure you're working with somebody who who is reliable and going to tell you what's out there. Um, most of the experts that I work with, they really know if they're and they they don't they're not going to give an opinion that's contrary. They're going to tell you, look, if you want me to go down this road, you just need to know that I've had these three other cases, and some of them, are, two of them, are published decisions. Where my opinions laid out. And this is going to be, you know, somewhat maybe contradictory to what I've said before. So let's talk about that. You want to know that ahead of time um, before you you put the expert up and do the opinion. But in terms of the vetting process early on, I'm going to write more on the expert to tell me what they've done. We'll do searching, you know, make sure the expert hasn't been excluded, those types of things. Sure. Um, but we're not going to spend you know hours tens of hours trying to trying to do that we're We're gonna rely on the expert to to tell us so once you've vetted the expert,
0: how do you prepare them? You know Do you do mock depositions? do you do mock cross examinations? <clears throat> what are the best tools in your toolbox for preparing a especially a newer expert witness who doesn't have a lot of experience
1: at this? So I, I do think a mock examination is important. If they're, if, there's, if they're really experienced, I mean, some of the damage experts have testified hundreds of times. Um, they, they don't need as much of a mock examination. Maybe you, you keep that to, to a minimum. Um, <clears throat> but I think when, with, with new experts, uh, especially on the technical side, you'll have ones that haven't testified as much. Um, I think that is important to, to walk them through both a direct and a cross-examination. Uh, I will have a, another attorney at my firm Play the other side and, and do the, do the cross examination for my expert so they're not used to the person. And um, I, th- I find that to be a more helpful way to do it as opposed to me doing both sides. Um, they take it a little more seriously and it's a little more unfamiliar if, if someone else is doing it. But I, I think that process is, is very important to get the expert prepared properly. Um, you know, you, you want to make sure they're going to defend their opinion and that they understand the best ways to do that. Uh, they may have some some safe places they'll go with some phrases. I, I had a, an expert in, in a royalty case, uh, the leading expert in, in royalties, music royalties, um, not necessarily a testifier, though. He, he did these royalty analysis uh, where he'd be hired <clears throat> excuse me, by um, by clients to, to, to make sure they were being paid fair royalties in the music industry, um, but sure. hadn't testified a lot. Uh, most of those cases settled. So he wasn't a, a great witness to start with. Um, but myself and a colleague, we we worked with him for probably three or four days um, to to turn him into a really fantastic expert. And one of the ways we did that was to get him comfortable to say, I relied on my procedures to, to do this analysis. These are the procedures I've been using for decades to do this kind of work. And so he wrapped himself in his credentials and his credibility repeatedly. And when he testified in front of the jury, I thought he was fantastic. Speaking of
0: settling, I'm hearing from a lot of attorneys that the vast majority of cases these days are being settled as opposed to how it was, you know, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, does this affect the role of expert witnesses? Do you still have to prepare each expert witness as though they're going to, you know, be in front of a jury or be cross-examined?
1: I think you always should. So I, I do think I've seen the statistics. I think cases settle quite a bit. Um, I often get brought into cases that are close to trial and and my cases don't settle as often. So certainly by the time I'm involved, I I expect the case to go to trial and I, I prepare the experts as if it's going to trial. I don't want an expert giving a deposition and not thinking it's going to trial, uh, even though they may have an experience where they testified 50 times and they've only gone to trial twice. I'll, I'll tell them that most of my cases go to trial and I expect this is going to go to trial. So they, they need to get, they need to get prepared and be in the right mindset for that. Um, I think it's dangerous not to do that. And and I found over the course of my career, the more prepared you are for trial, the other side sees that, the more likely you're going to get a good settlement uh, as uh-huh. opposed to trying to settle because you're worried about your case uh, or, or something else. Um, so being prepared for trial and having your experts prepared for trial, I think sends a, the right message on the other side and will actually promote a better settlement.
0: So uh, one of the primary things that an expert will do if they're, you know, regardless, but especially if there's not a trial is a report. Um, do you typically, uh, you know, provide an outline or do your experts typically develop a report whole cloth?
1: Um, it, it depends. So I'll, I would usually ask the, we'll have calls and discussions about what we think the report should cover together. Um, the client okay. may be involved with that. Uh, then uh, depending on how long of a report we think it's going to be, I, I think the expert you know can can outline it or we can outline it on a call together, but I, I like them to write their own reports. I think they should. I think they're better experts. It should be their words. I don't really believe in writing reports for experts, um, you, you know, it, with the way the federal rules are now, you can probably do quite a bit of that um, since drafts aren't discoverable. Um, but I don't think it, it in practice it, is, it works as well. I think the expert needs to have done their own product, written their own report, and then they, they understand it better. It's their work. They defend it better at the deposition and a trial. So I expect the experts to, to write their own reports and, and really will have input and so will the client. There may be things that we want to add. Um, or think that should be added, uh, things like sure. that. But we expect the expert to do to do that work. That's a good segue into
0: uh, ethics. You know, experts they're obviously required to give their opinion on their area of expertise. <laughs> um, and I've heard experts, you know, occasionally kind of feel nudged by their attorneys to kind of frame their opinions. Uh, in a specific manner, not necessarily say something that they don't feel, but like, you know, where, where's the line between expressing their opinion, be it in a report or a deposition or even on cross, um, that is, that's truthful in their experience, but is still, you know, pushes the, the case forward. How do you manage that kind of push and pull?
1: Well, I mean, I think the expert has to be expressing their opinion. It's their opinion. It's not the attorney's opinion. I don't want them regurgitating something attorneys have told them. And I think that happens on the other side. I I can figure that out. Um, And usually it's going to hurt the expert's credibility. And I think one of the things that the jury system does really well, jurors are fantastic at evaluating witnesses' credibility. And if it's someone else's words or opinion, and that expert's really uncomfortable with it, they're going to see that and not trust the expert. So I, I just I don't think that's a good idea. Um, you you got to have the expert give his or her opinion. It, it can't be something that the uh, attorneys came up with. So yeah, you may talk it through and, and better ways to express it. Um, but I don't I don't think you should be uh, telling the expert to to give a particular opinion that they're not comfortable with. It, it has to be their opinion. Or or you. Not only is it going to have you know implications just it's it's not the right thing to be doing. it's not it's not going to work as well. Uh, ultimately, it, it, there's going to be a problem.
0: I, I've uh, interviewed a, a good number of experts who have said that a more proactive approach, with their attorneys, has been helpful to, to uh, their career and to the cases. Um, do you find that when uh, experts take a more proactive role, they say when they uh, think that a case might be better if they frame something a certain way or kind of get more involved in the case, is that something that you prefer? Or would you prefer them kind of just to stick to what they were hired for and, and, and uh,
1: answer the questions as, as they're asked and fill out the report? Well, I think it depends on what the experts doing. So that if you've got a very, if you got an expert in a very limited role, you want them to stay in that limited role um, and not to expand out. And if they're if they have questions about that, I always want to hear you know what their thoughts and questions are. I don't want to get a, on something that's off topic um, or maybe on another sure. expert's topic. And that's why you have to have close coordination. Um, but overall, I do like it if if experts are are very involved. I had a um, It was out of my IP area, but I I do trials in other areas at times, too. And I I got brought in by a colleague to try a a fraud on a real estate breach of fiduciary duty case. And the expert was just fantastic. I mean, he he, um, was our forensic accountant and he went through the books and the records and he went through the emails and he pulled out things. They were just incredible and, and really changed the, the nature of the case and, and were, were critical to achieving a great result. Um, the case actually settled during uh, jury deliberations um,
0: sure. after
1: the jury had come back with some questions that were favorable for my, my client. Um, but I, that, that expert did just a fantastic job. Um, really digging in and doing a forensic analysis of not not just the accounting documents, but the emails and putting together stories about what happened on the breach of fiduciary duty that were just fantastic. So, yeah, you know, I love it when an expert can do that. Um, and that was right within his, his role. But he found things that, that we weren't even expecting that were there.
0: I found a lot of experts find that they become invested in these cases. And even after their part has wound up, um, they, they still take an active interest in whether the case is quote unquote won or lost, or at least the best result in a settlement has been achieved for, their, for, uh, for your side, for the attorney's side that, they, that they're working with. Um, do you typically keep the experts kind of abreast of the case as it proceeds, or once their part is done, do you kind of move on from that?
1: I always like to keep them uh, informed of what's what's going on, um, whether the case I mean, sometimes the case is subtle, it's confidential, so they can't know the details about settlement. They can know it's settled. Um, Right. But I always like to keep the experts informed. So, you know, we we always I would say within the first hour after getting a verdict, we let the experts know um, what the verdict was. So they, they know, too. Um, and they're on the same page. Cause I agree with you, they do get invested in it and that's, um, that's, you know, human nature and, and, and nice to see as well. Um, they may care about the client and and they want to know how it, did, how it went just beyond, you know, how did their own work do? Um, I like to give them feedback. Um, you know, I don't, I don't usually have time right after they're done testifying in court because they, they get up after right. leave the witness stand and off they go into the hallway. And I'm, I'm still in front of the jury, but they're, um, you know, once the trial's over, I'm happy to talk with the experts. And I've had several. Uh, this, this trial I did in just in June, I had an expert call me just to inquire about, you know, how he did, what he could have done better. Um, I think that's fantastic uh, to 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 give that uh, feedback. You know, certainly feedback I like to get as well. Um, so I, I appreciate when they they want to hear that.
0: Stan, do you have any, uh, you know, last parting advice for newer expert witnesses or for attorneys that are dealing with newer uh, witnesses before we wrap up today?
1: So I would make sure that you uh, hire the right expert, uh, you know, that like, like we've talked about, they're, e- they're easy to work with, they're a good teacher, they're available, they have the time for your matter, but they also have the competency to do it. And if you're a new expert or relatively new You've got to check your work. Um, I was against uh, recently in, in another trial a damage expert, and his report looked great for the defense. Uh, he he whittled down the damages, and we're trying to figure out what's 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 happened and how do you get the damages so low. Well, finally, the CFO for the client started digging into the numbers, and he had um, he had said he was going to use numbers in a certain date range and had actually gone beyond that date range and it had thrown all of his calculations off and made them much lower. Um, Now he didn't do it intentionally, but he didn't have the right people check his work product. So we waited until trial and crossed on that. And he ended up uh, having to retract basically his whole opinion uh, and and testify that all of his numbers should be higher. Um, So you don't want to have that situation if you're on the, if if you've hired that person. (laughs) Um, but the time to fix that is to make sure you've hired the right person. And if you're an expert, you want to make sure you're never caught in a situation like that, because it's uh, it's kind of embarrassing to have, be caught with your pants down in the middle of the jury trial. So,
0: <laughs> Sage advice, Dan. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining me for another discussion at the Roundtable. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our short notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps.